This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 157 of the Skate Podcast. I am Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bruins lost their sixth regular season game of the season, and we are in late January. They lost that to the Lightning down in Tampa Bay. It was a pretty intense game, really competitive game, uh, fun game to watch. I think the Bruins did a lot of good, but there was also the fair share of bad in particular, in the last 20 minutes. We'll get to all of that, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, I think that it's not necessarily a bad thing to lose a hard-fought game and get reminded of, you know, what the big boys uh, in the playoffs are going to be like and and what's harder to do against some of the better teams. But for now, I'm going to throw it to uh, Bridget and Scott, you guys. What would you guys make of the, the game tonight against Tampa? Yeah, thought it was a great game, obviously. Um, you know, similar to the Toronto game almost two weeks ago. It's like, yeah, this is what a, this is what playoff hockey feels like, or, you know, pretty close to it. And I think my big takeaway, like from the combination of those two games, because they're two of the best games we've seen this season, is uh you really don't want to have to go through any path that involves facing both of those teams, which, you know, like there's been some talk recently about, uh, you know, does it really matter if the Bruins run away from the league? Does, you know, should they care about the single season points record? And it's like, all right, like that's one thing, but you know what does matter and what is really important is finishing first in this division and not getting stuck in that two, three dog fight that Toronto and Tampa are going to be in. Um, you know, those two teams, assuming now I know we can't assume because in 2019, the lightning did not get out of the first round when they were the record setting team. But if the Bruins get out of the first round, then Toronto or Tampa has to go through each other. And then the Bruins Bruins, if you only have to face one of them, like that is a huge help when it comes to looking at like what your path to a Stanley cup is going to be. Um, It's going to be, I think significantly easier to only have to go through one of those teams. And that second round matchup could very well end up being like the toughest series that you, you get. Yeah, that's, that's true. And to, you know, bring it back to this game and, you know, it did feel like a playoff game. It was kind of funny in in the beginning, there was kind of like competing chance in the crowd for Bruins and Tampa Bay. And like, it seemed like the fans were even like getting involved in, in it um, as kind of a more, playoff like atmosphere um key thing that it seemed like was going to be the most important thing and I don't believe Montgomery was asked by Jack and Brick after the game about this was the fact that Charlie McAvoy looked like he had another shoulder injury in the third period and he actually came back two minutes later which I was not anticipating um and 
played out the rest of the game. So that was like a huge sigh of relief because as the air came out of the building and the broadcast when McAvoy went down to the end boards behind Olmark's net. And you're just like, okay, this, this is bad. And to a, my surprise, two minutes later, he comes out on the power play and he looks fine. So um, that was just one of those things in a game like this that you worry about because it is a team that's going to play you so physically and you're just thinking, okay, well, they win or lose, whatever. You know, they want points, but not a huge deal if they lose. But if they lose McAvoy, that is a big deal. Yeah, Scott, and that, that was the same shoulder. He got surgery on the offseason, too. So, you know, you worry about that. Uh, you know, I guess anytime with shoulders, like, you, you still – you want to make sure going forward now, like, there's nothing there that lingers. You know, sometimes – guys will return quickly from something like that, but then it kind of nags or, you know, it pops out at some point or, you know, like we saw that with Grizzly last year, right? Like he, he played through it and, you know, was okay at times, but then it kind of kept bothering him and kept getting worse. So still longer term, like you want to make sure there's nothing there that's going to linger with McAvoy, but yeah, it's obviously a huge sigh of relief that he was able to come back. And now the recovery for the shoulder surgery in the off season was how many months? I forget. It was, it took a while. Wasn't it a May six surgery? Months. Yeah, yeah. Six, six months. So that would mean that if it was damaged, he either would have to play through it or be out the rest of the season. So like if it comes back that in the morning uh, he goes through tests and it's, it's an, like it's a re-injury, then he's in a situation where, Either he tries to play through it, like like you mentioned, like him and Grizzly did last season, or do you just take him out of the picture? So, I mean, everybody's just hoping that he's fine, and the fact that he got back in that game is a very strong indication that he is. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to imagine that that based on him returning not too long after the actual incident itself, I don't I, I don't think that the medical staff and and the training staff would would put him back in harm's way if it was uh. Yeah, I, to your point, like you can sleep on it, and then you never know, like something can come up overnight uh, after some time. But that said, I would just be surprised if it, if it wasn't anything more than a scare. Um, guys, I want to I want to bring up three three things that I think Tampa Bay did well against Boston that most teams don't and this is why when you get later into the season and you go into the playoffs and you're playing these caliber style teams as i said it's a reminder of why boston or what boston won't necessarily be able to do at will against a quality opponent over seven games like they do against say san jose or montreal or something like that and and just to preface like i think boston played really well in the first 40 yeah there were some hiccups but i thought they played fine and this is not me saying the Bruins suck tonight. I'm just bringing up three things that I thought statistically Tampa did well tonight. The first thing, especially in the second period. So after the first period, I think the teams were 8-8 in the faceoff circle. After the first 40 minutes of play, I think it was like 22-12 to in favor of Tampa. They were very strong in the faceoff circle. I think after 60 minutes, uh, 52% for Tampa, 48 for Boston. Faceoffs are a huge part of Boston's game, and it, it leads to possession and dictating uh, where the play goes. So I wanted to mention that um, Tampa was effective on the on a power play. Obviously, Boston has a top PK in the league. Tampa was effective there. And then the third thing is just I thought Tampa was 
very effective on the four check and didn't let Boston um, get to their transition game uh, as often as they usually do. And that's a common theme when the Bruins run into somebody in the playoffs that gives them trouble and eventually bounces them is that four check game. So those three things, faceoff dot, um, special teams and four checking. And I think Boston was fine in those three categories, but I do think Tampa Bay uh, had the edge in those three tonight. Yeah, they, they did. Um, I, I wouldn't be super concerned though. Like Tampa's not a great faceoff team in the season. They're kind of middle of the pack. Um, just over 50%. Uh, you know, Bruins have been an awesome faceoff team. I think they're second in the league. Um, and you know, some of those goals, it's like, well, the most important the goals that Tampa got, win. I think were very fixable. If you're the Bruins, like the, the power play goal, you end up with Carlo and Forber kind of sucking over to the same side of the ice to the same guy, which you don't see very often from the Bruins penalty kill. They're usually very good about, you know, kind of staying where they're supposed to stay and having um, good spacing and not, you know, Brent Hagel ends up wide open all alone in front of the net like that. You almost never see that from the Bruins penalty kill. Um, The face off should have been a face off violation. The Kucherov goal, like stamp goes, is basically like leaning over the dot b- before the pucks dropped and has Krejci's stick tied up. That was just bad miss by the linesman. Um, and then, uh, what was the third goal? It was, um, it was a collision. Uh, it was the yeah. collision with Allmark and Carlo. Right. So yeah, again, like Carlo, I think has generally been really strong this season actually makes like a decent play to kind of disrupt the rush in the first place, but just um, kind of loses his position a little bit too close to Allmark and, and takes him out. So, you know, yes, credit to Tampa, but I also feel like they weren't like the, those goals weren't hugely concerning from the Bruins ends because I don't think they exposed any bigger problems. I think if they were just like, all right, some stuff to clean up and, you know, that's about as far as my concern level would go. Yeah. And their most important Tampa Bay's most important, important face-off one was a, a violation. It was cheating. So it was like, okay, there, you know, they scored right off a face-off, but um, put a little asterisk next to it because it, there were just a lot of anomalies in the game in terms of officiating. Um, it's just some really weird plays, like some high sticks that weren't called some, icings that were you know called icing when they weren't or not called icing when they were um just a really oddly officiated game and you do see some of those in the playoffs so it's no excuse to not you know be able to fight your way through it but still it seemed like a frustrating game and that kind of it did change the flow of the game and and that's uh and on that on that third game winning goal by Tampa, uh, I know it's easy to look at Carlo in that play just because he ended up going over the you know tripping up all Mark and himself and all that stuff. But if you trace that play back, you know it's a um, poorly executed neutral zone pinch by Lindholm that even gives Tampa that odd man rush in the first place. So uh, if you're gonna give dish dish blame around there, then Lindholm has to wear that as well. But um, as to why I think this this was a a good loss for Boston. 
Because I think if, if you ask Boston to a player, like they, they want to kind of go through some nights where things don't go their way. And, and they lose the game three to two with a chance to tie it late goalie pulled. They're right there in the thick of things. They come back twice to tie the game. Tampa barely gets, gets by with a win at home in a very motivated game for them. And I feel like, a lot of things had to go Tampa's way for that to happen. You guys mentioned the the false draw where Kucherov scores off of it. Sam Coast leans over the dot. Krejci, um, which by the way was a weird play because the Bruins took a long time to set up their uh, face-off positioning there uh, before that happened. <laughs> and then they just kind of like, give up a goal right away. It was kind of uh, kind of ironic, but um, yeah, a lot went a lot went Tampa's way. And before the game the media was asking John Cooper what makes Boston so effective. And he basically said of uh, one of the things he said was that they don't beat themselves. And I thought that tonight in the third period in particular, they beat themselves. And I think that, you know, that just doesn't happen very often. So when you have a game where Tampa gets some fortuitous bounces, some luck here and there, and Boston kind of was their own worst enemy at times, like in that, barely was enough to beat Boston on the road. I think it's a it, it's it just it's just affirmation. It takes a lot to beat the Bruins once, let alone four times in the playoffs. Yeah, and the the one thing where I will give Tampa a lot of credit is they did control that game in the third for pretty long stretches of time and that's something we have not seen often is is teams that have been able to go the distance with the Bruins and, you know, go 12 rounds and be able to control play in the third and still get offensive zone time and not be on their heels. Like usually the Bruins are the team kind of overpowering teams by that point because, you know, because of their depth, because they've done it before, because they have that confidence in themselves that, you know, they're always going to find a way to get it done in the third. Um, you know, the, the lightning uh, kind of threw some of that back and gained some of that confidence themselves tonight. So that's, you know, if you're the Bruins, like I feel like, one of the main, obviously you want to win every game, but you know, this would, would have been a season sweep over Tampa um, would have given you a chance to, uh, you know, really kind of like take their soul sort of, right? Like they're, they're playing well and you still go in and, and beat them. Um, so I think the lightning probably got some confidence out of that and feel like, Hey, you know, we went, we went toe to toe with the best we took control in the third period. Like we can do this. So, you know, absolutely no reason to panic or really worry if you're the Bruins, but you did kind of, you know, let the lightning gain that little bit of extra confidence um, ahead of, you know, potential future meeting. In the playoffs too, scoring first is such a big deal. And the Bruins trailed, they never let in the game um, against Tampa tonight. So uh, you kind of just, feel like Tampa Bay was allowed to play a little bit different style of game than if they were chasing it, especially in the third period when they got the lead, the three to two lead, they were able to be more aggressive on the four check and they were able to put more pressure on the Bruins. Um, and you could just see the, that they were playing uh, a style that you probably want to stick away from if you're, if it's a tied game. Um, so that's also something to, to keep in mind is that it, it shows you that, you know, the Bruins were in the game all the way to the end. Goalie gets pulled, still looking like they're getting chances. But the importance of scoring first is definitely so simple. But in the playoffs, it makes such a big difference. 
and by the way, just to correct myself, they do play the Lightning one more time in March, but um, you know, Boston, right? Po- yeah, point stands though. Like season sweep would have been on the table if you win, and instead Tampa gets it. Yes, it, it, look. So I think, I think um, to get to some of the positives for Boston in this game, right? And as I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of them. It was a very, very competitive, hard fought game all the way around. Uh, but as I mentioned previously, Tampa was able to do some things tonight that typically the Bruins uh, get the upper hand in. One of the things I didn't mention, which thankfully you guys just brought up, was um, the third period. Like Boston's always dominant in the third period all year. They're going to continue to be so, and I'm not concerned about it at all. But if you're looking at some of the reasons why they lost tonight, that's another thing that Tampa just kind of was better than them at tonight was the third period. And you guys already covered that, so I'm not going to go there. But as far as what the Bruins did well, both of their goals were a thing of beauty. Um, the first goal to tie the game one-to-one, four-and-four, it was it was Boston 2022-2023 Boston Bruins hockey, right? It was it was possession. It was movement without the puck. Um, and, and Brad Martian was able to take a, a nice uh, little pass from Clifton after some good work by Pasternak, and uh, he was able to go go five-full on a quick snapshot to tie the game one-to-one. Um, what did you guys make of that four-and-four goal? Again, the Bruins controlled play a lot, I thought, for the first 40 minutes, and and this was after. This came on the heels of Taylor Hall getting a goalie interference penalty on Vasilevsky for kind of – it was a really like a nothing play. I mean, it was kind of like um, – what's his, who was it? Uh, Sergachev kind of guided him into Vasilevsky and it was it was no harm no foul type thing I mean yeah if you want to call goalie interference go for it that got negated when Sergachev just kind of went Paul Bunyan on on Taylor Hall made it four and four and then the Bruins um took over uh made that count in the aforementioned Martian goal yeah it 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 was sort of a a puck don't lie moment because I I felt like the Bruins should have had the power play out of that like Sergachev did way more than Hall like the initial collision is Sergachev knocking Hall into Vasilevsky and like you know I don't know maybe Hall would have made contact anyways but do you think you can't anything, know that and, and then Sergachev just like throws it, five Scott? cross checks what do you, do you think the fact that Sergachev reacted as if Hall had really like done this himself like led to the penalty being called because he responded as if this was like the worst thing anyone could have done to his goalie and he had nothing to do with it so I almost wonder if how bad Sergeyev's response was led to no. them thinking the, that it was more than it was. It's a good contact. question, but it's a good question. But I saw on the side replay the arm went up right away before Sergeyev got in there. Okay, yeah. true. So I don't know, but anyway, it's like I thought. If anything, that should have been a Bruins power play. It ends up four and four, and um, just great puck possession play by the Bruins. Like they change out three of the four guys on the ice within about ten seconds of that goal and just keep in possession, walk in the blue line. Uh, and then you end up with the great shot by Marshan to finish it. Um, so yeah, that was, that was impressive. Uh, the second goal that the Bruins got equally Im- impressive in terms of puck movement uh, with the check line, you know, Pasenak makes a great dangle to get around a lightning defender. I thought Pasenak did that a lot tonight. I think had some, great passes really, you know, ends up with only one point, right? I don't think, I don't think he assisted on the first one. Yeah. So one point, um, but could have easily had three or four. Like he was, he was slinging sauce all over the place. Um, sauce and puck yeah. don't lie. 
And uh, so then, yeah, and then Krejci gets it over to Zaka. So two two pretty goals by the Bruins. And and just a an all-around game from Pasternak where you see that he's not scoring, but he's still impacting the game so, like, so much. And he's making plays that they didn't score on, but that pass to Lindholm, like that Lindholm – Lindholm ends up going around the net and trying to wrap around after, but he's somehow sees Lindholm crashing, makes this backhand pass all the way through, you know, the center of the ice where there's a bunch of defenders and it makes it perfectly where it needs to go. And he did it a few times where he just somehow made this pass and it brings us back to something that we talked about before that Pasternak used to see himself in his game as the a playmaker and someone with the vision to set things up rather than just that like threat to score, especially like on that one time shot. So he's was a threat in a lot of areas. I think he blocked a shot and I was like, okay, maybe don't do that because (laughs) maybe you don't want to see him step in front of a slap shot, but um, he was doing all the little things right. uh, And possessing and passing and kind of just showing that his skill set is not just scoring. Yeah, and early on in the second period, the only stretch of play from him I didn't really like was uh, when the Bruins had that extent, or not extended, but that um, that five on four penalty that carried over at the end of the first period. Bruins came out in the second period and just um, they weren't crisp. I think, yeah, I think I think Pashnak tried to hit somebody up the middle, went for icing or something like that, and then he ended up taking a penalty to negate the power play. But aside from that, like thirty second stretch, to your point, Bridget, he was he was all over the ice. Uh, that pass Lindholm was 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 beautiful. In a game like this, it's a big boy game, and you have guys back there like um, Chernak and Pagosian and uh, Headman and and guys that that can um, can wear down opposing uh, forwards down low. So in a game like this, I really try to see. All right, obviously Pashnak can can you know do whatever he wants when he has time and space, but you know is he gonna how how is he gonna fare in those one on one battles and, and and whatnot and races to lose pucks and. Uh, to my eyes, he, you know, he passed that test with flying colors tonight. Um, I thought that it was interesting. David Krejci once again just makes me like eat my own words because I'm because there were so many times this game where um, I just thought the Bruins had one too many passes. They they gave up opportunities to shoot, and um, and look, who am I to tell these guys how to play hockey? I mean, somebody like Krejci, you know, he's top ten in Bruins franchise. Uh, every statistical category besides goal scoring, which I think he's just outside the top 10. So the guy knows what he's doing. Um, but sometimes you can't help it. The fan in you just kind of wants you know, to yell, shoot like you're in the 300s at the garden. But that said, when the Bruins tie the game two two, it's because he takes that extra second to find Zaka. And it's right. like, you, you think he has a chance to shoot that puck and he does, but he likes to pass it. And, and next thing you know, it's two to two. So, you know, he, there goes Kretsch again, just tell him, Keep keep down, Brian. Keep down. So I'll keep down. <laughs> but keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, and I I just caught a crazy's post game press conference right before we started recording, and he like he even admitted he was like, yeah, there were maybe a couple of other times we we overpassed a little, and it's like, yeah, there were. And, you know, there was the 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 one in particular where Pasanai gets it to him, and he has a shooting lane, but he tries to get it over to Hall instead, and. and the defender was already shading over to Hall, so it's like they were giving you the shot, and you know he just he just didn't take it, and you live with it. He, I think he's gotten better at that over the course of his career of taking shots when they're there, but every now and then that uh, you know 
diehard pass first instinct that he has. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to bite him. And like, you know, to your point, it's like, he's, he's awesome. He knows what he's doing. Nine, 95 times out of a hundred, he's going to do the right thing. But you know, when he, when he does pass on the shot, like, and it's there, it's, it, it's frustrating. Um, you know, obviously, and it's like, it's almost a running joke. Like Pasanak even joked about that early this season when he, he made a comment of like, well, we know Krejci's not going to shoot. So someone has to <laughs> type thing. So, um, yeah, you know, I think Krejci will probably watch video on that and be like, yeah, okay. I should have shot that. I, but. I think it should have been fairly obvious like two seconds after he made the pass. That, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, if and- you watch, yeah, sorry, Bridget, what were you saying? No, no, go ahead, because I was going to change the subject. Um, well, if you watch that play as well, like I, we're all talking about that second period um, play, I think, down the other end where he had a chance to shoot in the slot. If you do watch that replay, if he wanted to shoot that puck, he would have had to have done it like right away because as a righty, he got to a point where he turned so much that he wouldn't have much power behind it. It would be kind of a little bit of a flimsy snapshot, if anything. And I think that in his mind, he was like, I'd rather dish this than not get a lot behind a shot. If you watch the replay, you'll 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 see what I'm talking about. His his body was kind of um, a little too tilted at that point. But I digress. Uh, what did you want to bring up, Bridget? Um, so this was we had something we mentioned could happen a few podcasts ago. And ever since DeBrusque has been out, we were talking about maybe Taylor Hall could go to the first line, but that it was kind of unconventional and maybe not the best thing to do because he would have to play his offside on the right wing. And he would, you know, he hasn't played. We don't know the last time he's played on the right side because um, you're going to leave Marshawn left, Bergeron center. And so you take him off the third line and he goes up with um, Marshawn and Bergeron. How do you think he played in that role? I So I thought it was a, other than that one good drive to the net where, you know, he gets called for goal interference. That was a fairly quiet game for Taylor Hall. And I don't know that it's necessarily related to the switch versus just being kind of a quiet game for him in general. Um, there weren't any instances that I noticed of like, him looking awkward out there playing right wing. And, um, you know, the, and both him and Martian said before the game, like it was going to be pretty interchangeable. Like, sure. They'll left, they'll line up Martian left hall, right. But then, you know, if someone's higher up on the four check and they're on the other side of the ice, they'll just switch. If someone comes back first, you know, they'll just track the play to whatever side of the ice it goes. Like, you know, they, I think they're both fine with, you know, we're going to end up where we end up. We don't have to just stay on our wings. So, and I think you saw that play out a few times. So I don't think that, you know, the move to the right side is why he had a quieter night. I just thought it was, you know, kind of, obviously the last couple games had been really good for him. And this was a little bit more of what we had seen in, in the few weeks prior where, you know, you, he's just not quite as involved as you want him to be. Uh, I, I would say that if I'm Jim Montgomery, I, I'm going to give him another opportunity. I, I don't, I don't see the harm in allowing them. Uh, it's to take one game and, and, and just shut down the option. I think is silly. I think it's stubborn. Uh, what, cause on one hand I I'm with Scott. I definitely thought that it was a quiet night for hall. 
I didn't think that line was all too dangerous. Five on five. I don't know if the scoring chances back me up there or high danger scoring chances, but it was, it wasn't a, a phenomenal game. If you only had yeah, one opportunity, sorry, Scott. Yep. As a line, they had four scoring chances, one high danger. Okay. Yeah. That, that kind of bears out. So if you only had one chance, one opportunity to seize everything he ever wanted, um, I don't think he captured it, but I do. I do think that. Uh, All right, podcast is over. I, I do. Think, I do think they have the. I got the beanie on too, so I feel like I'm. <laughs> but uh, I, I do think you just give him another chance and see what happens. I, I don't see why you would rush him off that. Um, now maybe you put him back in the third line or some or down the lineup because you didn't think the third line was great tonight. Um, but I think you go with another another game or two with him uh, with on that top line. Yeah, and I. I... You, you see Smith go back to the third line and we talked about like, oh, Hall has a, a certain, you know, dynamic um, threat on the on the third line, but he hadn't been really performing that way on the third line anyway. So you move him to the top line. I don't know if it's just because I've had a bad week, but I was just excited to see it. As soon as I saw the lineup, I was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to watch this and this is going to be fun. Cause I just, in my mind was like, I have no idea how this is going to look and I just want to see it. So um, it, one thing that it did, uh, I, I did want to point out about the move and how it affected, you know, that line and, and the third line is that throughout the season hall has always played on a line where two, two guys were centers at, at least at some point in their career. And I can't remember the last time Taylor hall, I've seen Taylor hall, maybe, he, maybe once a season. I don't know how many times he's taken a face off this season, but he took one uh, in this game and he doesn't have to on the third line because uh coil and Frederick are both guys that have played center. And then when he's playing on the second line, Krejci and Zaka are two guys that can take the uh, face off. So he's always the third option for the face offs and doesn't usually get in at the dot. So it's just kind of funny to see him there. Hall has apparently actually taken eight face offs this season. I that's, can't remember another. More, yeah. That's more than I would have guessed. And it's just because like we mentioned, they like, Frederick used to be a center and still at times has played center um, for the Bruins this season and in, in recent years. And then Zaka, obviously we've talked about how he could be an option, an option at center if you lose Bergeron or Krejci, because that's how his natural position is as well. So you never see Hall in that role. Maybe that's a problem because Mar- like Marshawn doesn't take many faceoffs either. You're kind of just leaving it to, to Bergeron, but um, I just Martian is funny. usually the second guy though. Yeah. He's, he's the second option. Good. I think, yeah, this must have been a situation where <laughs> both of them got waived or something, and it ended up with Hall. I mean, Marshan is usually the second guy, but it's an automatic loss. <laughs> he doesn't really try much on him. He more so just kind of, like, gets a head start on going behind the centerman to chase after it. Um, I want to rescind a take I had the other day. I think it was a little premature, a little unfair of me. Um, and Scott kind of agreed with me, so maybe he'll, maybe he'll uh, also rescind. Uh Kopanen, I thought that maybe the first game he was a little overwhelmed because he's definitely settled in the last few games during with his trial stint with the Bruins. And and Scott, I don't know if you have 
um, how many face-offs uh, each player won tonight in front of you. I don't know if you have I a do. tab like that. Do you? Yeah, Copenin okay. won 11. Uh, no. Copenin won four, lost seven. So he's 36%. He but to be to, to be fair, off? yeah, um, to be fair, Bergeron was 39%. So he wasn't much better. Well, I must have really paid attention to Copenin's four face-off wins because I, I thought that the last few games he's been pretty good in the face-off circle, but... I guess he hasn't, but regardless, he's definitely settled in a little bit. Yeah, he's been pretty good on faceoffs in general um, tonight aside, but yeah, I, I thought it was another pretty strong game for him and for that line. I was, you know, when we were just talking about the other lines, I was looking and that line was the only line that had multiple high danger chances tonight with with all three members on the ice. You know, I don't know about mixing and matching and stuff, um, but the other three lines all only had one each. And the Felino, Copen, and Greer line had three. So, um, and it, it kind of felt like that. Like they had some good offensive zone shifts. I thought, uh, especially in the second period, like, um, and, and even like early in the third, like when there were some lulls in, in the Bruins' uh, kind of offensive opportunities, they were able to at least generate some momentum by getting down the offensive zone and, and keeping some possession there. So, um, yeah, Kobanen has not looked overwhelmed, and obviously this is a, you know, this is the probably the biggest test yet facing a team like Tampa, and especially that decor. Like, um, you know, you want to see how he holds up against that, and I thought he thought he more than held his own. So that's, you know, it's a tough situation for Montgomery, right? Because like they call up Mark McLaughlin and you bring him on this road trip, and presumably you want to get him in at some point and not have him just you know, sit for an entire road trip. Just hanging out. But it's like, all right, well, who are you taking out? Because that fourth line continues to p- perform pretty well. Kopanen seems to be getting better with each game. So, you know, you're not going to sit someone when they don't deserve it. So, uh, you know, unfortunately from McLaughlin, I mean, now there's a back-to-back coming up Saturday, Sunday. So maybe if someone's a little nicked up, you know, that's an easy opportunity to get him in there on Sunday or something. But, um, Otherwise, you know, I think Copenhagen deserves to stay in. I think Greer's doing enough to stay in. So, you know, maybe you look at, at Craig Smith. But That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking that. I, I think, and this is nothing against Craig Smith, but I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind McLaughlin on the right side with Frederick and Coyle. I think that could be a good, quick, heavy line with some puck possession. And and I, I do think um, – McLaughlin's first NHL career goal was on a pass by Frederick on a two-on-one, but I don't know if they played much five-on-five together, if that was more of a line change type thing. But, well, no, it was probably, I don't know. what. I, it, what I think they did. were on the same line, yeah. I think he but was I, with them a little bit. I could see I could see McLaughlin complimenting Frederick and Coyle a little bit better than Smith right now. So, and, and again, I, I like Craig Smith as a, as a person, but um, for right now, I just think it – it's a long season. Like, see what you have. See what you have, right? You never know. Yeah, so. and you, you'd rather take a guy out of the lineup that feels relatively secure in the role. Like, I know Craig Smith has been scratched at different points of the season, but, like, if you're coping in and you're just trying to hang on and, and prove yourself, like, he's at the point in his career where he, if he does play well, you need to reward him. Um, whereas, you know, it's okay to get Smith a night off if you just want to you know, use McLaughlin because you have the ability to, to, because you call them up to see him. So 
yeah, I think Craig Smith would be the most obvious choice to switch McLaughlin in for. And I wanted to comment on Copenin because I agree, he does seem to have settled in. And it's one of those things where you see a guy get a chance for the first time after playing in the AHL and you're wanting to see whether or not they can adapt to NHL pace, NHL size, any like, um, you know, guys that can make moves around you. And I thought he, his defending and his pressure that he put on was um, really good. He didn't get beat. I can't remember a time that he did at least um, against Tampa Bay. And he's also taking up time penalty killing, which is big. And he's not getting beat by guys on the pen when he's penalty killing. So um, he's definitely earned that spot in the meantime, while Nosik is out. Um, until he shows a reason, like a letdown, then you leave him there. Um, another Bruin who I thought had a, a strong night and I think passed the test for us against a strong opponent would be Linus Allmark. I, I don't I don't fault him on uh, the Hagel goal. I don't fault him on the Hedman goal, the game-winning goal, because he kind of got taken out by his, by his teammate there. Uh, the Kucherov goal, you know, but, I mean, it's off a of face-off. It's bang-bang. And I thought he had a ton of point-blank chances, especially in the last 20 minutes when the Bruins got a little careless with the puck. Um, there were a lot of turnovers down low, and I thought Olmark was there to to bail him out, and he gave him a chance up until the very end, I thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah, really more of the same. Like It, it feels so repetitive to come on after every game and be like, oh, goaltending was great, but it just has been. <laughs> Um, me writing, me writing the the section, like the explanation of each episode. Allmark and Swayman, great, like in every single description of every single episode. Yeah, although I do think that uh, with Allmark losing, giving up three goals, I think Swayman now moves back ahead of him in terms of stats over like the last month and a half, two months. Um, they they've been going like neck and neck, where I think Swayman was had was a little ahead. And then, oddly enough, Swayman giving up two goals and 22 shots dropped him behind Hallmark again, like, or over this last 20-game stretch or so. And so now Hallmark probably dropped back below him. But, uh, yeah, they've both had just this unbelievable stretch where it's like it, their numbers are off the charts over what's basically now like a two-month stretch since either one of them it struggled at all and or certainly struggled for like multiple games. See, I think this is a notable game to bring up all Mark because anytime you were you are lining up across the ice from Vasilevsky, uh, especially when you are the individual who is the favorite for the Vesna, I think it's a there's a lot of eyes on that game and, and I think in many ways it's 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 all Mark. Anytime you can play against Vasilevsky, uh it's kind of a, a measuring stick game for all Mark in his mind probably because um Vasilevsky has been the gold standard um, the last, you know, five, six, seven years and at that position. So I thought, I thought on the road um, in a game where his, his team wasn't as strong defensively in front of him as they usually are. I thought he was, I thought he was excellent. And cause you know, I bring it up because as, as good as the goaltending has been this year, I think that as we get closer to the playoffs, you're going to hear a lot of pundits and, and just media personalities and maybe some, maybe some fans too. They're gonna try to, they're gonna try to think to themselves, well, what could possibly go wrong for the Bruins in the playoffs this year? Because, because everything's gone their way and they're the favorites, blah blah blah. And I think one thing that people are gonna hang their hats on is, well, 
the Bruins goaltending is unproven in the playoffs. Um, so any opportunity in the regular season, you get a chance to see Allmark and Swayman gear up for a game. Like it is a playoff game. It's notable to me. And I thought that he passed that test with flying colors tonight, despite the, the losing effort. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as far as like the playoff storyline goes, it's one of those things where it's like, well, you can't do it until you get there. You know, like I know, yeah, they both started games in the playoffs last year, but obviously it's only one series. Um, so it's like, okay, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe they do both flop, but the fact that you have two of them gives you a lot more hope. Like, uh, you know, pr- you would think if one does struggle at all, the other would be ready to go. And by the way, that's going to be, if this continues, that could be an interesting conversation that we're having down the line, because I think obviously we're, we've all, everyone most of this season has been operating under the assumption of like, okay, you want to keep all Mark fresh, but look at the season he's having. He's obviously the guy come playoffs. And I think that's probably still true, but if they're like alternating starts and they're both playing at an elite level, like they have been for nearly two months now, like I wonder, you know, like how quick would the trigger be? Like would swimming get a chance at some point? Like how, how would that work? Because again, th- this is now, you know, way down the line and a lot of things can change, but the way that they're going right now, it's like, you have to feel great with either one of them in there. I know I do. I know I do for sure. It's just a matter of, uh, they haven't, they haven't been there. So to your point, Scott, it's like, it's not, it's, it's, it's nonsense to even, to even have your mind go there and worry about that. It's, it's you're, you're what you're going to, you're going to blame somebody or put something against them for something they haven't had a chance to do. So I just, I think that's silly. It's one of those things where like, you're looking way ahead and reading way too into it. Like you're, you're doing the what if scenarios that like have really honestly not shown that they're even very likely at all. Like you give it like a 5% chance that both of them are somehow playing bad at the same time, or even that one of them is playing bad um, at, a, at a given time. So you're, you're just thinking like, no, it's not, it's really not something you have to worry about until you're, we're like, you know, three games into a series and we're like, oh crap, like two bad games for Allmark and one bad game for Swayman. What the hell is going on? So Bridget, here's a, here's a what if scenario for you. What if you were calling a game play by play as you as you often do and And, i will this weekend and you will this weekend and what if you happen to cross the line and make some comments about one's weight (laughs) would you by any chance go into that person's locker room after a morning skate and apologize face to face as one as one jack edwards did this uh this afternoon first of all would never ever say anything like that and i mentioned that originally like especially since i i broadcast men's and women's hockey and broadcasting women's sports like and being a woman myself you know not to say stuff like that and that it's really not okay um so first of all wouldn't have made a joke about it um I try not to like find myself making jokes on a broadcast because I don't think I'm that funny uh <laughs> at least in this kind of situation like when I can't you know be a hundred percent like get the get the tone right and I know people wouldn't even care if I made a joke so I don't really joke but um I think that the the conversation with Maroon and Jack that transpired was because I believe Jack had tried to reach out to him before and wasn't like it wasn't as 
recepted or it kind of just like wasn't able to happen. And I, I think they just straight up ignored him. Like I, I, he, it sounds like he put in a request to talk to Maroon, you know, probably by phone, obviously, because at that point Bruins and lightning weren't in the same city until now. And I think he just got ignored. I think Pat Maroon just had no interest in talking to him unless Jack Edwards was like literally standing right in front of him. No, Whoa. not only that, he was on his knees. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was like literally on his knees, like apologizing, like you see in like a movie, like please, <laughs> baby, take me back. Like <laughs> Bridget, real quick, just to clarify that first, uh, that first correspondence after the after the original joke, according to Pat Maroon, who who mentioned this on a, on a on a different podcast, he said that, and I I, I think I told you told you guys this on. Um, back when it happened, but I guess Jack reached out to Tampa PR and basically said, "Here's my cell. Here's my email. Whatever. If, if Pat wants to reach out." And and Maroon was like, uh, no, you can call me." So it just so, so that's why he so that's why Jack got ignored essentially is because um, Tampa the Tampa side of things was like, "No, we're not going to reach out to you. You you messed up. You call him." And and then and then fast forward to today, and here we are. Yeah, and, and like to answer your question that you asked, would I uh, go down and apologize and go to the locker room? I mean, if I genuinely felt like across the line, which I think Jack did, and I think he did feel bad, um, at least in the public eye, he took backlash for something that maybe he's not comfortable. Like he hasn't apologized for certain things. So the fact that he did apologize for this means that he actually felt bad and felt like it was necessary. So, but I mean, did it? Like, did he even really apologize? Because well, he we kind of he certainly didn't heard. initially. Like, there was no apology in his first statement about this, and then even today, like, so after, like, after this conversation with Maroon, he talked to both Matt Porter, the Globe, and I think he also talked to the Athletic or like one of the Tampa writers. Um, and his comments af- afterwards were kind of along the lines of like. You know, I feel like people ran with it on social media, like blew it out of proportion. It still wasn't a like, yeah, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Like I like that there was, you know, like an I'm sorry somewhere in there. But it was like still kind of couched in like this all blew up into something bigger than it should have been. And, you know, that like I, I wasn't trying to be offensive. I was, you know, I tried to give him credit, too. Like it. There's still a lot of like kind of almost like making an excuse for it or but like you know, I do trying feel to explain like it away rather than just saying I screwed up. I'm sorry. That's it. Yeah, you don't need to go into the extra stuff. Did it get blown up more than it needed to be? I think some players would have left it alone. And if Maroon just didn't say anything, like we're not having this conversation at all. So I think it depends on the player and like what their past experience was, whether or not the social media part of it was going to go as crazy as it did and how widespread as it as it was and also like jack is jack i feel like people around the country don't really understand that we hear this all the time (laughs) and that he just says some crazy stuff and that's not an excuse but like i feel like he's so used to saying stuff like that he didn't when it came out of his mouth he didn't think it was any different or or weirder than stuff he says i I think this was different like it even for him i thought you know, he doesn't talk about people's weight or appearances often. Like it, it was different, even even for him. Yeah. Well, wasn't it about pizza? Well, like it three? was. 
it wasn't even what he said. It was how long he settled, said it. <laughs> yeah, it, true. It got to the point where it was uncomfortable as a listener because it's like, buddy, we're watching this channel because we're watching the product on the ice. So call what you're call what you're what you're supposed to be calling. Like we don't we don't care to hear about your your monologue about about Pat Maroon, whether you're complimenting him or shitting on him. And you know um, that's what it came down to for most people. It's like just Jack, just do your job. Right, just do your job. Like you can be colorful if you want here and there, but like just enough. Like you're you're, you're drawing attention away from the product on the ice, and and that that gets annoying at times, you know. By the way, I on my broadcast when my color commentator likes to make a stupid pun, I will give him like the dirtiest look I can possibly give him. Uh, and we're you know we're not on camera, so no one can see it, but I'm just looking at him. And I, I just highly discourage um, bad puns and stupid jokes. Yeah, but if you're gonna go that route, you know, if you're if you're a phenomenal play-by-play uh, person, then I think that it could be forgiven. But if it, you know, if this were if this were a contract year for Jack in the booth, um, the, the maroon stuff aside, it hasn't been a great year from calling games. He, he's he's lost his fastball, and you know there could be one reason or another about that. But regardless. Um, you know, so when that stuff came out on Twitter today, the uh, the picture of Jack kneeling down with the, with the Jack with the Jack uh, swag that he had going on with the the white socks with the black suit, um, uh, the white Hanes socks. So I was like, well, I gotta find video of this. So like, you know, twenty minutes later, you know, um, oftentimes when the Bruins have a big game coming up, I'll go to the opposition's website and just kind of see what what the other side's saying going into a game, and uh, definitely I was going to do that for for Tampa Bay. So I wanted to watch uh, John Cooper um, pregame and whoever else Tampa uploaded, and one of them was Anthony Sorelli. And I start watching Anthony Sorelli, and I sent this to you guys, and all of a sudden right behind him, it's, it was like a sitcom. It was like it was Jack it was Jack and Maroon having a conversation. I was like, how has nobody how, – how has this not gone, like, gone viral? Like everybody's trying to – get the dirt on this on this interaction all you have to do is just go on tampa's website and um so between the reporters asking surly questions and surly answering them and just chatter you hear in, in the locker room during these scrums it was tough to make out what what was being said but i texted you guys a few things that maroon i could for sure hear maroon say to jack and the one thing uh, maroon said to him was um you gave me a backhanded compliment which tells me jack was probably saying to him what you guys said, like, look, I was just teasing. I, 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 I there was plenty of times I was, co- I was complimenting you during the stretch, and Maroon probably said what I just said. You gave me a backhanded compliment. How you, you wouldn't like it if I said that about your son or your daughter? And then, um, you also hear Maroon say, uh, something like, "Do you want me to? Do you want me to step on a scale and you can, you can see what I weigh or something like that?" So, um. And what's funny is this video, it's Maroon's face is facing the camera, but all you can see is the back of Jack's head. So <laughs> you just see Jack's head just kind of like still and like nodding here and there and and whatnot. I sent you guys a video. It's it's pretty funny, but uh, pretty wild and, circumstance. Yeah. And the fact that that wasn't recorded makes me like wonder whether or not like that wasn't like actually like reporters around it makes me think maybe the team said like this is just like a side conversation, but it's right there in the middle of the locker room with like reporters around. So if that had happened in the Bruins locker room, it, someone would have had to say like, you can't like record this conversation. Otherwise every reporter would have been right around it. 
Uh, no, I think people are smart enough in that in a situation like that. Like you, you know, when something's one on one and meant to be private. So, well, why do you know? It in ca- the like occasionally, there's a reporter who like, like occasionally, there's a reporter who doesn't know better and butts in. But generally, people can can tell with that stuff. Yeah, that was supposed um, to be a private conversation. What I more meant is it was picked up because of where it was in the background. Well, yeah, of- it was still in a public setting. Like, it, you know, the locker room's open. So yeah, other media's in there. Other players were around. Like Matt Porter, the globe had the, had an anecdote of like Ian Cole was just watching and uh, Matt quotes him as saying like, I'm, I'm just uh like, I'm just hanging around to make sure Patty doesn't rip his head off. <laughs> like, so, you know, guys are like almost like joking about it, like as it's happening. Um, so, yeah, just crazy scene. Like, I, you know, I'm sure Jag would have preferred it to be like out in the hallway, truly be one on one. But like to the point I made earlier, if you're Pat Maroon, like you're not going to go out of your way to accommodate it. So, yeah, if he wants to come in here and do it, you know, in front of everyone, then OK, like I'll talk. But that's maybe exactly Jack, it. Maybe Jack was safer with um, witnesses. <laughs> that, what scott just said is exactly how it went down too you can just tell like because in the picture pat's taking off his skates and he's not even looking at jack he's literally just taking off his untying his skates like his head's down so you know they got off morning skate and you know somebody in pr went up to pat and just said hey like edwards is here like do you want to talk to him and maroon probably just said i mean yeah fine if you i mean i'm not just what just scott just said like yeah he can come in here i'm not going out there though um yeah so that was that. Hopefully this puts the whole thing to bed. Um, <laughs> it, it does feel like it's just in general. It's something that I feel like at every turn where like it could have been sort of like died down or, you know, kind of reined in. It's just blown up bigger, like on both sides. And, you know, like for Pat Maroon, it's, you know, look, like if you don't like someone talking about your weight, like fine totally understandable i wouldn't want someone talking about my weight but like i don't know i mean you couldn't have just like talked to him by phone at some point and and that's what it means like jack could have called him he could have called like never had to get here really on on either side and just feels like both of them kind of didn't handle it very well i think yeah I, i think i think maroon like I'm just I'm just spitballing based off of what I've heard him say about the situation. I think he cares more about the fact that Edwards went viral and got so much public publicity because of it and that his and that his message about teasing somebody of body image is now at the exposure of people who might be going through shit like that. Um I think that's what Maroon was more so upset about was how much exposure that that rant got more so than what it was actually said because you know um that that that's my two cents on it i think it's i think maroon hated the fact that it blew up and that you know other people that might be self-conscious had to hear it and i don't know i mean I, that's 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 what was said so um yeah i mean like i said i think i tweeted this out like well so we'll see them in the ring at wrestlemania 39 i think that's in los angeles this year <laughs> and then that and that'll, that'll be that and they'll settle all filming business right then and there so can you really take a guy seriously who twice tonight said tilt a whirl in a broadcast about hockey? Uh, I mean, look, Jack. They, him and him and Brick were not on the same page on that one because Brick's like, you can trademark that, and then Jack's like, Marshan said it this morning. So, well, I mean, that the the broadcast. Did he 
The, I have no idea. I don't the know. Bro- the broadcast got off to a wild start tonight when uh they had their oh, they had God. their video monologue and Jack's the last thing Jack says is coming up next, Bruins and Lightning, Eastern Standard Time. And Jack's like, I mean uh Brick's like, what? And then, like, he's like, Do you he, and he looks at him like, Do you get it? Do you get you it? Can, you can hear the crickets through the screen. And <laughs> you know, I mean, like, to your point, Bridget, like, yeah, Jack, like we get it. You're saying that both of these teams are the stand, the gold standard in the East, and they're playing like Bob. We get it, but uh, I don't think everyone got it in Cole. No, but <laughs> it, no, I will but... say it took me like ten seconds. I was like, what? I was like, oh, I see what he's saying. Okay, but oh yeah, I was. Good. Yeah, no, my, uh, I was watching it with a few people. The room was split on who understood what the fuck was going on, but uh, yeah, uh, crap. Now I forgot what I was gonna say, but oh no, I was gonna say. Brian and I have both been producers at WEI and we like to play uh, cricket noises to people and we just play, you know, little noises out of, <laughs> out of, uh, you know, news boss and whatnot. And we, I feel like if Brian was producing that, he would have hit the crickets and, and it would have made a lot of sense. I would have just, no, I, I would have just left the studio. <laughs> I would have stopped producing. Um, I mean, I'll tell you this much. If Jack, if Jack had a dollar, for every time he said that's the coin that won't get tossed, which you talk about all the time, Bridget. Um, I mean, the guy would be the richest guy in the world. Now, what was it? What was the thing you told me, Bridget, in the past about this like Jack Edwards drinking game that people play? It's like a Jack Edwards bingo. You you played a Jack Edwards drinking game, didn't you, or something like that? Or no, I just one? I've seen the Jack Edwards drinking game, and it's just all the like key phrases: coin that won't get tossed, tumbling muffin. Um, <laughs> what are the other ones? Can of um, corn. There's uh, so many. There's there is he, he just he and he was round. He's been rounding the bases pretty much every game. So. Yeah, yeah, his, his slugging percentage is through the roof this year. <laughs> all right, kids. Was there anything else you wanted to go over? We're about an, just at an hour right now. Uh, and speaking of fights, Connor Clifton had a good oh, one with yeah. Corey Perry tonight. Um, you know, good for him sticking up for himself because Perry kind of threw a cheap shot at him. Clifton had already been hit, lost the puck, and Perry comes in late and catches him up high. So, um, you know, then Clifton went over first, gave him like a good cross check that I thought he was going to get called for a penalty on. Like, I thought the ref was going to catch that, you know, miss the initial hit, get the retaliation. Um, but didn't call anything there. And then, you know, Perry wants to go with him. Clifton obliges and, and gets the win, you know, giving up some size against Perry. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that uh, a lot of NHL players would like to do is uh, take down Corey Perry because he's, <laughs> he's made a very long, he's had a very long career of towing the line. Yeah. And I mean, to your point about the cross check, not being called, the ref was right there and it just shows that, I had no idea what was a penalty in this game. (laughs) Nobody knew what was going to be a penalty and what wasn't going to be a penalty, but no. And Clifton did give up size. And it's funny because when I first saw their weights listed, I was kind of shocked. (laughs) I was like, I didn't realize Corey Perry was that much bigger than Clifton. Clifton's kind of small just to, you know, put that into it. But I don't, you think of him as like a a little pest, right? Not, not like a somebody that's going to have size on a guy in a fight, but Clifton is a little bit small. Yeah, Perry. Perry's got some size to him. He's got some height to him. He, uh, another thing worth mentioning too is, um, obviously, like we'd said earlier, Taylor Hall went into Vasilevsky. wasn't that wasn't that violent at all. And obviously, Tampa took um, exception to that. On the other end of the uh, of the ice, a period later, um, Ross Colton, 
that was legit when it's like that nobody pushed him and then he kind of yeah. gave all mark a shoulder and Derek Fober took exception to it and you know that scene in the Christmas story when the when when Ralphie finally beats up the bully and he sits up and he wipes his nose and get all the blood on himself that's what Ross Colton looked like I don't know when it happened or how it happened but clearly something happened Forbert looked like he broke his nose or something like that because he was bleeding for a while yeah I was wondering like if Forbert like either not that Forbert himself scratched him because he still had his glove on but like did he like drag his chin strap across or something? Like, I was wondering if someone scratched Colton because it didn't look like he got like punched or banged into the glass or anything like that. So, I was wondering if like something got his visor maybe got pushed in, like something like that. I thought it was like um, when Forbert pushed him into the boards, like, and then Ross Colton went down. I think once that scrum ensued, I, I think maybe like a, the shaft of a stick maybe caught him across the yeah, bridge. Yeah, that, that was like what that. I thought. And Forbert was also playing with gauze up his nose from like very early on because he got high sticked in the face. Yeah, but I, you would think that between intermissions they get it to stop. I, I was I was surprised to see it just stay in there for all all sixty minutes. Just chilling. Don't need to breathe um, out of that nostril. Yes, yeah. So I, I'm as a person who, fortunately, like I don't get nosebleeds nearly as much as I used to. But I am someone who, when I get a nosebleed, like it is very tough to stop. Like it takes me a long time. So I, I can sympathize with Derek Forbert on not being able to get it to stop. Yeah. I can't wait till the next episode. Scott just pops on, <laughs> <laughs> pops on here with gauze up his nose. Scott, your nose bleeding. What? No, nah, no. Nah, I just wanted to put him. Put some gauze on my nose. Yeah. I, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Nosebleeds can be tough in the one or two with the dry air, but any of They're in Tampa. No, I know. I'm talking. I'm talking. About, <laughs> uh, I, I get I get nosebleeds too up here in the winter sometimes, and they can be hard to stop. But I just I just kind of like blow my nose and try to. Uh, now again, now I'm getting too graphic. So. <laughs> <laughs> no need to go there. I think I just everybody's starting to puke now listening. So, um, okay, guys, I'm good. You good? All yes. good. All right. Thank you all for listening. We will speak next after the back to back this weekend in Florida and in. Carolina. Thanks for listening and enjoy your weekend.